0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington Commanders for the Athletic. We are gearing up for week three. Obviously, it's the Carson Wentz game against the Philadelphia Eagles. His first time he'll be playing the Eagles since he got traded in uh, 2020, ahead of the 2021 season. We all know that ha- happened. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about This game, we're going to talk about the last game, where this team is in general with two fantastic guests. Uh, Former Washington head coach Jay Gruden joined me on Wednesday to break down what he saw from that game on both sides of the ball. Those defensive lapses, what he's seeing from the offense, um, some other fun topics with Jay as well. In addition, my colleague at the Athletic, Bo Wolf, who covers, sorry, Bo Wolf. I should speak slowly who covers uh, the Eagles for the Athletic. He joined me today to discuss this game. We got the view from the Philadelphia side of Carson Wentz, that experience, um, and what he sees going forward. And then, of course, the Jalen Hurts situation. um, How is he developing, et cetera. So we'll get to all that. A really fun episode. I'm excited for you guys to hear this here on the podcast. Of course, if you don't subscribe yet, please do so, uh, so you don't miss any episodes on iTunes or Spotify. Uh, the plan is to have Jay Gruden with us all season long, so you don't want to miss that. Uh, in addition, go check out my work over on The Athletic. had a, had a new story up today about how if Ron Rivera is saying the scheme defensively is not the issue, and I think for a lot of us we question if there's personnel changes that can be made realistically because of the lack of depth, it means the starters will have to do better. But how do you get better in season other than just the notion of Play better. Um, I talked to some of the guys about that, so you can read that over on the Athletic. A um, couple of quick notes from practice today. Man, is this defensive line uh, beat up? Uh, three players on the on the list today. We have James Smith Williams with an abdominal injury. He was limited. Casey hill with a concussion. Daniel Wise ankle didn't practice. Um, Smith Williams told us, uh, told a few of us in the locker room that he. Thinks he'll be fine, so expect him to play. I don't know about the other two. Daniel Wise told me sort of a day-to-day situation there. So we will see. Of the nine defensive linemen that started with this team in Week 1, six have in some way, shape, or form been on the injury report this week with obviously Federi Mathis, the worst-case scenario, out for the year with a meniscus tear. So that group has been beat up. Uh, John Allen has, been, has practiced in full the last two days, so obviously – that sounds hopeful. There, uh, Cam Curl has also been practicing in full. Uh, would would think he's going to play this week, and obviously that would be huge for this team, particularly in the run defense. Round Varese talked about now talked about that multiple times. Cam Curl's a bigger guy at six two. That aggressive mindset they could use him. Uh, for sure, especially this week against an Eagles offense that is second in the NFL in rush yards per game and has a mobile quarterback in Jalen Hurts. So uh, that would be huge if he is able to go, uh, but we will see about that. Also, um, uh, Sadiq Charles limited with a shoulder injury today. Trey Turner was able to go in full. West Schweitzer has been practicing as well, so presumably he will start at center for Chase Ruye. Obviously a big blow there. To lose uh, Rie, they have not made a determination yet. I-, I don't believe, at least as I'm talking to you guys right now, about whether he'll be out for the year. But it seems like it's potentially trending in that direction. So um, tough break there for him. There's some probably some long-term ramifications you'd have to consider, right? I mean, two years in a row, season any injury. Next year, they save more money on the cap releasing him than keeping him. Uh, so, so well, obviously that's a ways off, but something to consider down the line. Um, other than that, I think we've talked a lot about this game coming up and where this team is at with our guests. So that's going to be it for me here at the top of the show, but we'll start with Jay Gruden, uh, getting his thoughts. Uh, uh we took a look at, at some of the film from this game, <laughs> those defensive, um, mishaps the big plays allowed what's going on there what he's seeing with this offense and then of course as i said bo wolf talking about eagles and commanders sunday at fedex field let's do that now uh here on the standard room only podcast all right um back to the podcast is of course our weekly guest here on the podcast uh jay gruden is with us jay appreciate the time as always Last week you told us you were at a sports bar watching week one. What was the scene for week two, uh, th- this week?
1: Same thing. You got to watch all the games at once. So it's great to sit there and have your eyeballs on the Raven game. Then you got the commanders on one TV. You got the jets. Great comeback on another TV. It was uh, fun watching them all.
0: I know last week you were saying that this is sort of like your indoctrination into the, uh, Sunday ticket kind of watching where everything's at once. Uh, this week in particular in the one o'clock window was insane with all the, with all the comebacks that were happening. Was your, did you feel like your head was exploding watching all that?
1: Oh yeah. You hear somebody scream in the corner of the bar. You're like, what game is it? And you're trying to find the game. What happens? You know, <laughs> that's a uh, head on a swivel is what I call it when you're at a sports bar and you're all cheering on one TV. You got to
0: find out what happened. What, what's uh, what's that like? I don't know if one game comes to mind, but when your team comes back like that and you have that, you're like, oh, well, we're, you know, we're dead. We're not going to win. Then all of a sudden, you pull it out of nowhere. What's that uh, What's that like?
1: Uh, that's incredible. You know, it's uh, the level, the, the emotional roller coaster that you go through as a coach or a player in the NFL or any sport. You're down. You feel like crap. And all of a sudden, you start to come back. You get the adrenaline rush. And when you do win it and you finish it off, it's uh, it's a great feeling. It wears you out, though, man. After the game, you're like, holy cow, that's crazy. But it's a lot of fun. Miami, Miami did it. The Jets did it. Um, just awesome to see them come back and win.
0: Do you have do you have a memory like that at any point in your career, player, or coach, whatever that that stands out?
1: Right. I think the biggest one was our game against uh, Tampa Bay when uh, yeah. you like that I believe when Kirk threw the slant to uh, Jordan Reed for touchdown. You know we had a huge play. Uh, they were up three and uh, and and Doug Martin broke it down the field and Rashard Breeland made an unbelievable hustle play from the backside corner, knocked them out at the one. Right. And if they scored the touchdown, we would have been out of it. But uh, we held them to a field goal. Great goal line stand and got the ball back and. And Kirk let us down there for a win, which is huge because I think I probably would have been fired after that game if we lost it. We ended up winning the division uh, because of that, because of that game.
0: <laughs> you really? I mean, do you really think that you would have been? I know, that, like people probably speculate such things, but did you actually think well, there?
1: That? Was, there was rumors of it. You know, it was. Uh, you know, we just hired Scott McLuhan, uh, so I think that could have been a thing where you know he was going to make his decision. But since we won, I don't know if it's true or not, but there were rumors. I was told that that was the case uh, from certain people, but. Um, and you just keep fighting as a coach, trying to do the best you can. Unfortunately, we won that game and won the next one and ended up going nine and seven won the playoffs. So
0: ended up working out. It did. Well, I mean, yeah, that I remember that one for sure. That was uh that was a wild one to say the least. Um a wild one in Detroit for the commanders, but in the wrong kind of way. Uh they tried they tried to come back, didn't do it. Uh the first half was an absolute disaster before we get into some specifics like as you're watching that thing what's your what was your big takeaway from that one
1: well uh, clearly one team came out ready to play one team didn't um, one team made plays and the other team didn't that's just sometimes that happens in pro football you can't really put your finger on it you can't blame preparation throughout the week you can't blame this you can't blame that uh just sometimes one team comes out and they're firing all cylinders got a lot of momentum and another team just can't get it back they try they try they try but uh, next thing you know, you look at the scoreboard, you're down 22 to nothing. And uh, you got, like, two first downs, and the other team's just rolling. So, <laughs> you know, as a coach, you got to try to do the best you can to get your team up and stay positive and and just take one series at a time to get back in the game. And, and Washington did that to some extent, but couldn't come back all the way.
0: I mean, like, obviously, people pour over game tape. They, they have analysis. They explain, here's what this team didn't do right, what they should do right. But they'd always – all that X's and O's talk eliminates the human element. And that's what seemed to be on display at the start of that game. I, Detroit was at home. I was there. The crowd was loud. There was a lot of energy in the building. Washington, not just one player, not just one unit. The whole team seemed to be completely lacking of energy. And, and you could see it in that first half. I, I know you just said there's no, you can't explain it, but like you've been through this. like ha- what, what is happening there in those situations where your team comes out and just there's nothing, there's no energy there?
1: Well, there's no plays that were made. You know, sometimes in order to shift the momentum, you got to make a play. And offensively, they didn't make any plays in the first half. And defensively, they gave a big play after big play after big play. So, you know, the one thing that changes momentum is a block punt, a big catch and run, maybe something, a sack fumble, something. But nothing changed momentum. Detroit had everything going their way, and Washington did nothing in that first half to take away the momentum and gain some for themselves.
0: You know, interestingly, like, the, the, the defense the criticism of the defense has been pretty pervasive over the last couple of days and you know probably fairly so. but if you go back and look at the start of that game, the first drive the Detroit uh, punts, second drive they, they are held to a field goal. the third drive they drive all the way to the goal line but get stopped on downs. So to a degree the defense is actually holding up, but the offense didn't get a first down until midway through the second quarter. Well, when you see and then the defense eventually you know they're on the field too long and they just sort of fade. When you're a coach and you kind of see it going in that way, do you are there certain plays that you would try to call on offense just to get a first down, even if just to give the defense a rest kind of deal?
1: Uh, yeah, always. You're always trying to get first downs. So you have your first 15. You have plays on your script that you want to get off early uh, to attack the Detroit defense. Obviously, that didn't work out too well uh, for a variety of reasons. It could have been pass rush related. It could have been poor blocking at the point of attack reasons. It could have been uh, back missing a hole. Whatever it might be, they just didn't work. And, uh, and unfortunately, they were forced to punt a lot and keep their defense on the field, which is uh, not good when you're on the road and the offense has some momentum going. And they're able to hit some big plays after those three drives. You know, they had the uh, St. Brown, big catch for 50 yards, they had another run by Swift for 50 yards. And uh, it was a gashing uh, there for a while.
0: I assume it's not a good feeling when, you, when you're still on the scripted plays four or five drives into the game. <laughs>
1: Usually you're off the script. They're just reminders of plays that you want to hit early in the game. You never right. really go first fifteen. I don't know any coaches that do. Okay, it's third and eight, but we're on play three. Let's run inside zone. Yeah, so you got to get off the scripts eventually.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. I think when I was a kid, I just assumed that it meant like literally like a like a, like it's a play or you know here's the first fifteen plays no matter what. I'm like wait that doesn't make any sense. But um... I think once that I got
1: the six in a row, which I was shocked. I was like holy cow, this is a record. We got the six. So- <laughs>
0: Oh, that's interesting. Um, well, well, let's talk about that. I don't know if you know we, we're talking about uh, the offense and we'll get to the defense. I guess just what I mean, Washington ultimately scored a lot of points. They moved the ball well in the second half, but couldn't get anything going in that first half. What kind of stood out to you just about Washington's offense? What was such a, the issue early and, and what were they able to do? Do you think later?
1: I think pressure, uh, inability to make plays on first down and forcing, you know, Carson in some uh, obvious passing situations, which uncorked the defensive line for Detroit. Um, they got to get better in pass protection, on known passing situations, that's for sure, or they got to help the tackles. Something's got to give uh, because you will be stuck in third and long eventually, third and 10, third and nine, and you're going to play great pass rushers all year. Next week, they got Brandon Graham and, and the crew at Philadelphia and Fletcher Cox. So they will be in third down and long against. They have to shore up their protection. That's number one. And then number two, like I mentioned, first down, they got to be more aggressive, probably try to get in second and short so they can keep the pass rushers at bay, make them play run and pass, and not just let them get in a three point sprinter stance and try to attack all day. That's that stuff for any quarterback and any offensive lineman, really.
0: Yeah. I mean, Detroit is a pretty, you know, blitz heavy team, but they were also getting after wins with only four pass rushers at at times. could you see and I don't think I asked you to look at this up so don't no sweat if, if not but like could you see something the Detroit was doing specifically that was just causing so much confusion for the line in the first half they're
1: getting off on the snap you know when you have when you're on the road the home team is as the best advantage in sports and that's you know the home crowd especially a defensive line can really get off on the snap count or silent count or what have you plus it's on turf so that's a fast track right so Hutchinson was really getting off and uh so yeah, so they were uh, doing a great job of just getting off on a snap and, and playing havoc kind on of the tackles.
0: Um the if we can say anything about Washington's offense through two weeks is this group can definitely score some points. The receiver trio, obviously, of McLaurin, Dotson, Samuel looks pretty good. They've got explosives players elsewhere, and Carson Wentz has, you know, a very talented arm and all that stuff. The the inconsistency though has been sort of the issue in the first game. They score in the first and fourth quarters, you know, they move the ball well, but in the middle games, they kind of disappeared here. The first half, no answer. The second half, they they do some better things when, when, when it's sort of going like that, where it's just not consistent. Is there something is there typically a theme or what for you as a coach, are you kind of looking at to try to make it? So it's not just boom or bust all the time.
1: Well, I don't think any team is really consistently going to score on every possession in the NFL, except maybe Buffalo or Kansas city right now. They're doing it pretty consistent.
0: Right, right, right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, you're going to have your issues. The game is going to ebb and flow throughout the course of the game. The big thing is uh, protecting the football, uh, playing good field position, punting if you have to punt, and not turning the ball over, uh, obviously. Uh, but there's a lot of variables. You know, the running game, uh, you know, like I mentioned, the point of attack, it could be the tight end, it could be the left guard. There's so many variables in a running game that could screw you up. A receiver not digging out the safety and blocking in a pass game, it could be protection, it could be routes, uh, it could be a defense that just covers the heck out of you. So, uh, there's a lot of variables. It's very difficult to maintain drives, 9, 10, 12-play drives for 80 yards. Uh, the most important thing is to try to manufacture some big plays, too. And uh, Washington has that ability because they have McLaurin. Uh, they got Doxon. Those guys can both get down the field and make big plays. And they got a strong running game.
0: And, and I think – and I know, I know you didn't have a chance to see Brian Robinson do much. Uh, because obviously, you're not out of practice and things like that. But watching him at practice and then in the preseason games – I think he's to some degree is the missing element because he's more of a traditional running back than Gibson is. He's going to be able to move forward, uh, get at least some positive yards. And I think that consistency on the ground game, I think will ultimately help them because Wentz just by nature, he's more up and down. And I think that's kind of what they're missing right now. I mean, Gibson's a home run hitter, but you know, play to play, he's not really a guy that's going to be able to help you kind of keep moving the chains. So I really kind of think Robinson will be able to give them something whenever he's able to come back.
1: Yeah, that's probably true. You know, you know, you got to also be consistent with your identity. You know, maybe their identity is spreading people out getting ducks in a slot and getting Terry McLaurin out there and Samuel out there utilizing their speed and their ability to run and McKissick's out of the backfield and Gibson out of the backfield spreading teams out. You know, when you want to hand the ball to a bull guy like a Derrick Henry or uh, Robinson, then you got to kind of pack everything in there and become more of a different type of, Physical team, and everybody's like, Hey, why aren't you throwing the ball to these guys? So, I think uh, this identity basis and, and Coach Rivera and obviously Scott Turner got to decide who they want to be moving forward. Uh, but you're right, Brian, is a big, big time back, and he will get the positive yards more likely than uh, the other guys.
0: Um, last thing on offense, and really and easily one of the positive points of this young season is uh, Jahan Dotson. Uh, you know, I got to watch him all summer. And you know he's really impressed with his his rat running, his hands, his catch radius was talked about a lot, um his poise for a young player. And now he's come out in the first two games and has three touchdowns. And I sent you one play on his um on the touchdown in this game, just his move uh, off the line of scrimmage to get to get open. It seems like he's pretty advanced for a rookie in terms of some of those route running moves, but as from your perspective, what 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 have you uh, seen from him?
1: Well, I think you're right. I think the big word you said was poise. Uh, a lot of times the receivers, especially young receivers, they come in and they want to catch the ball. They want to get into the route so fast. They don't set up the, the the concept of the play. The one that he scored on a touchdown was a hard play action pass, and he came off kind of slow to set up the defensive back like he was blocking him, and then he shifted and, and cut across his face and scored the touchdown. He had strong hands going up to get it. The strong hands going up to get it. You can see it on tape at Penn State, you know, but uh, the ability to set the defensive back up and have the patience to sell uh, the play, a lot of guys don't have that earlier in their careers, but he clearly does, whether it's outside uh, setting up a defensive back and bump and run or inside setting up a nickel defender on an option route. He's got it all, uh, all the tools,
0: and he's got the skill to uh, finish the place. We, we always talk about like, you know, somebody is uh, maybe the ex receiver is saying a specific position, but does a team have a number one receiver type it's only two games in his career so i don't want to go crazy but does he have the basic skill set do you think to be that guy he's obviously not the tallest of receivers but do you see a guy that could develop into that or is that type of talk silly yeah, media talk I, I
1: don't know, Only a couple games and i haven't seen enough of them to say that but i do know he has a skill to play both outside and inside and if they're in a three receiver set then he can play anywhere which is awesome you know what i mean uh so Uh, Having that skilled slot receiver like Cooper Cup or Justin Jefferson, guys like that are catching all these balls is critical this day and age uh, to work the middle of the field, work the uh, inside defenders. Uh, You got to get open in there and then have the ability outside to beat corners like a Darius Slay is very unique in a player. And I think he has proven that he can do both, which is a huge advantage for the Washington offense moving forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, let's go to the other side of the ball, which is where a lot of the conversation has been going on uh, the, the, you know, since the game ended. And it isn't just because it's two games into the year and they've looked up and you know, they haven't looked so great, particularly in this game. Detroit's offense just really just moved the ball kind of at will in various ways. Um, it's also because last year the defense struggled as much as they did. They brought back the same coaching staff. They brought back essentially the same personnel minus – Landon Collins and Matt Ioannidis, Um, when you are looking at his defense as a guy with an offensive mind like you are, what are you seeing out there that's just giving them so much problems right now?
1: Well, you know, it's hard to put your finger on one thing. When your defense struggles as a unit, usually it's unit related. It's uh, scheme related, possibly, but uh, they're not playing as one. Uh, They're not flying to the ball like they should. They're not tackling very well. Um, that's critical when you're playing zone defense, you're playing, man, you got to tackle and they missed way too many tackles. You can't have a running back fall down and get back up and miss, make four people miss for a touchdown on third and 15. I mean, that is just unheard of. Uh, and so they got to tackle better. Uh, obviously they had to coach a little bit better, but um, they're just not hitting on all cylinders. You know, some players are doing the right spot thing, hitting the right hole like they're supposed to playing the right gap. Then you get one guy that's out of gap and, and the running back makes them pay. Uh, and then the second level doesn't get them on the grass, so uh, it's hard to point your finger at the D line or just the linebackers or just the secondary. Them as a unit are not getting the job done, and they just got to play better.
0: I'm sure we all asked you various questions about, you know, some form of well, is it the play, is it the players, or is it the coaching? And obviously, when you were at the podium as as the, as the head coach, I'm sure that's not the an easy question to, to to deal with. But like, how do you, as you're watching from the outside. How do you know whether it? What's your assessment of whether it is players or the scheme? Uh, because that's the part that's always the big mystery. Does we don't know exactly the play call, and we can watch the tape, but it doesn't always explain what happened. How do you, from the outside, assess that breakdown?
1: That's hard to say. It's, can you take another defensive coordinator and have the same type of players that he has, and would he be successful? You know, you'll never know that. Uh, do you want to go from a, you know, a, a, a Zone-based team to an all-man type team like New England or something like that. You have the skill to do that to cover guys across the board. Uh, I think it's a little bit of both, probably. Um, schematically, I think they're just not very sound. They're, they're having too many blowups or too many gaps that are open. Uh, they're not communicating well in the back end on certain things. You can't have St. Brown run a basic crossing route and not be covered for God's sakes and have a 50-yard gain. You know that's simple communication. Whether that's on the players or coaches, I don't know, but. Uh, if you're playing man-to-man, you got him, I got him. That's not that hard. You can't let their best player run free. So there's communication issues. Uh, there's player issues, I'm sure. Um, all. Anytime you have a lack of success on defense, everybody's going to point to the coordinator. But sometimes it is player-related. got to play better.
0: Um, uh, you mentioned the uh, St. Brown running over the, the, the middle wide open. It was busted coverage. Uh, this is what he had to say after the game, quote, they just had busted coverage all week. We kind of knew they didn't handle bunches really well, and we knew that going into this week. Basically, well, I'll paraphrase now: that basically, that if they ran that play, it was going to work. But some uh, Mark Bullock, our our film breakdown guy here in town, he showed on his in, on his website that there was a Jacksonville play in the week one that similar happened. Jacksonville just didn't throw to the receiver, but a guy got wide wide open. What do you see there on those plays that the idea that the other team would look and say, oh, we can design a play, and we're pretty confident that they're going to blow this particular type of uh, formation?
1: Well, first of all, Washington was in man. If they're in zone, it's no big deal. They get to their zone spots, and it's no big deal. But when you're man-to-man and it's a bunch set, you have to communicate who's got who. Typically, the nickel takes the point. He was on the inside uh, in the middle of the bunch set. And he usually takes the point. Sometimes the nickel will line up like he's on the point, man, to cover the outside guy, which is, looks like what St. Justice or whatever his name is tried to do. William Jackson, on the other hand, didn't get that communication, so they both covered one guy and let the point man run free, which you can't have happen. You know, you got to communicate. If I'm the nickel, i got to get up there and say I'm, I, it's top hat or it's truly locked man-to-man. Um, they didn't get that done. I think it was William Jackson was probably at fault. He was probably supposed to take the point, man. Uh, especially since it was Saint Brown.
0: Yeah, no that that that's kind of what it uh what it seemed like for for sure. Uh, there was communicate a, a lack of communication talk th- last year as well. Sort of again to the point of a lot of this seems like it's carryover. What's the how do you how do you emphasize that about these guys to to communicate better, other than just saying to communicate better?
1: Well, you might have to get new guys. You know, if it's as simple as playing man-to-man, you can't communicate man-to-man. You might have to get new guys because it's not that hard. You and I could go out there and, and whoever else can go out there and at least cover who we're supposed to. We ain't going to cover them, but at least we'll be in the area. We know that I got this guy. I'm going to chase him wherever he goes. We're not both going to cover one guy, for God's sake. So the players have to take some kind of accountability as well. It can't all be the defensive backs or Del Rio's fault, but – uh, that does have to be practiced a lot. When you motion a bunch, line up in bunches, stacks. Uh, that's why the Rams and a lot of the good offenses do that. To try to create confusion and try to get free access for your receivers.
0: Um, so speaking of confusion, there was the other St. Brown play while on the jet sweep. Um, it looked like earlier in the game, the Lions ran a similar play or like a similar look to it, but down that one, it was the running back took the handoff. But in, but in this case, uh, St. Brown gets the ball and you could tell nobody on the defense seemed to recognize that that he had the ball and good, good on Detroit I mean they did that was a good create creation there as well. Um, what did you see on that play and I guess does it tie into what we just discussed with the miscommunication guys is sort of not being aware of kind of what's happening in front of them.
1: Well. As inside backers, you got to really focus on your gap, so it's hard for those guys to get to the jet sleep. Now, the nickel, St. Justice again, or is that his name? St. Juiced. St. Juice. He's got to run. I mean, if they're playing man-to-man, he's got to take him. He's got to run with some urgency to get over there. That should be a handoff and a tackle for a game of three. I've seen it happen many, many times when a nickel runs over there and they hand it to the guy and they tackle him. Sweat was unblocked, which his – tackle block down so he stepped down so he was a no factor in a play linebackers were protecting their gap because the back was uh you know had an opportunity to get the ball so they had to stay inside in their gap and it, it was all the nickel he's just got to run and make the tackle and then uh william jackson has to have some awareness as well to see uh his receiver go block the nickel and then he's got to come off of that and make a tackle so those guys just have got to have a little bit better vision and some awareness on what's going on and urgency
0: <laughs> yeah yeah for sure now, a play like that, it's a run play, of course, but it's not a traditional run play, so I know it counts in, this, in the stats, but you know I think when we typically are saying, can a team stop the run, we're talking about you know sort of more of plays between the tackles or, or right on the edge. Uh, Washington is being torched right now on the ground. They're giving up 7.8 yards per carry. Uh, injuries are some factor for sure. They're, the defensive line is thin right now. John Allen was not 100% in this game. They haven't had Cam Curl yet. Uh, so far this season 7.8 yards is a lot <laughs> regardless of what's going on what what's your sort of sense of what's going on with that aspect of this team because now they're going up against the Eagles who are basically the best run team in football
1: well you think with the first that they have they would be really good against stopping the run really they like got the big interior players They got sweat out there they can you know force the edge force them back inside and you got some linebackers a young linebacker they drafted in the first round and Holcomb's playing pretty good at middle linebacker uh, so they should be pretty good stop and run. I can't understand why at 7.8, that's unheard of in the NFL, unless you're playing, you know, Eric Dickerson and Barry Sanders back to back, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's not like Detroit's a juggernaut at running the ball or Jacksonville, for God's sakes. Uh, if they can't stop those two teams running a the ball, they are in for a long night against Philly because Philly has a better offensive line than both those teams, and they will run it down your throat with the quarterback or Miles Sanders or Gainwell or whoever they have. So, they got to get their act together, man. It's going to be a long year if you can't stop the run because Dallas is coming with Zeke and, and the rest of these teams and the giants are coming with Saquon.
0: Uh, good luck. Uh, we, I think in general, people will say, if you have a good defensive line, you can stop the run. And obviously this team has, you know, John Allen, Daron Payne and Montez sweat first round picks guys that you were drafted in your uh, era. Obviously chase young is out. Uh, is it too, it, it, I, I assume it's just too simplistic to say you have those three guys, you should be able to stop the run. But what about the other pieces behind them that should be helping Jamin Davis, perhaps in particular, but Cole Holcomb as well? What is happening in the with the back seven guys? Are they not, do you see them not helping enough? Because I think there's a lot of questions about the linebackers in general. What do you kind of see there?
1: Yeah, same. I think, like I said, the whole unit has to take accountability. It could be a secondary uh, safety coming up in a run fit. I mean, they they have to be, responsible for stopping the run as well. When you're talking about stopping the run, you're not just talking about your front seven or your front four. You're talking about a unit, and it's got to be a physical, all-hands-on-deck type approach. The safeties have to be involved. The corners have to be involved. Uh, So, yeah, I I don't think you can pin your finger, point your finger at just a defensive line or just Jammin' Davis or Cole Holcomb. I think the safeties are a big part of it, and everybody has got to be more accountable to where they're supposed to be and how they're getting there and how fast they're playing. Uh, when the ball carrier has the ball, are they pursuing the ball like they're supposed to?
0: You know, you, I mean, as I said, the, the those three defensive linemen were drafted in the first round when you were still there and case young came later, obviously he's hurt. When you make that kind of investment in one position, you obviously kind of want to have that group be not just good. They really need to be good. They need to be sort of the dominant force out there, right? If you're going to make that type of investment. And while the players have been good to a degree, and it rarely has felt like wow that line is taking over the, the game. When you're drafting those guys, do you is that sort of the thing? Like, okay, if we're drafting three defensive linemen in a row, you don't know that the fourth one is coming as well. Are you kind of saying, hey, we're not just we're not just getting good players. This needs to be the strength of our team, no matter what.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think uh, I, it's always been my belief. I might've mentioned this earlier that the most important part of pro football is protecting your quarterback and getting after their quarterback. Obviously you got to have a great quarterback. That's the number one, but after that, you got to be able to protect yours and get after theirs. And that's my whole reason for trying to get better on the defensive line. We we're kind of old. Uh, when I got there on the defensive line, we needed a, uh, some better players and some became available. So we took them, uh, but they can get double teams. You know, the center and guard can double team drawn Pay, and the tackle come down and, and block Jonathan Allen, that frees up the linebackers. They have to make the plays. You know, if they're running jet sweeps, Payne and Allen ain't going to make the play. The nickel's got to run over there and make a tackle. They can't give up 50 yards. That's not Payne and Allen's fault. That's the nickel or the corner not coming off his guy and making a tackle. So, you know, I think Payne and Allen, they'll they'll still uh, continue to do their job and do the best they can, but uh, they're going to need some
0: help. Um, And then, like we said, we mentioned the Eagles are on deck. They not only have a good run game, they've got a very mobile quarterback. Jalen Hurts, not to mention uh, some stud receivers, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, uh, going to be a challenge for sure. Uh, you know, as you're thinking about this and having seen these teams play, what's your you know, what, what do you think is sort of the key to the game for Washington on either side of the ball?
1: Uh, well, they got to obviously what we've been talking about. They got to stop the run somehow. Um, you know, I, I, and they got to get they got to force Jalen into known passing situations, although he's proven that he's just fine in known passing situations. But uh, Jalen's not quite the same on third and eight as he is on first and ten or second and three, um, and their playbook's not as good either. So they got to try to figure out ways to get them in third and long, uh, get some pressure on them, keep them in the pocket, and uh, make some plays, uh, create some turnovers, have some fun. I mean, have some energy on defense. Um, so that's that's going to be critical. And then offensively, they got to maintain some drives and keep hurts off the field. Um, pound the ball, try to pound it between the tackles if they can. um, uh, get the short passing game going, get the screen game going, but try to maintain some drives to keep the eagle offense off the field.
0: Well, what's so crazy is, of course, to a degree, people are acting like the you know the world is falling apart here. It's still only week three, and if they pull off a win at home, they they will have just beaten the division front runner. they'll be two and one, and people will be a lot happier. But like right now it feels like uh, the, you know, the sky's falling down. It's such a, this is what's so weird about this sport, because the only one game a week, the narrative changes so dramatically or it can change so dramatically week to week. And uh, that, that, that's what makes it so fun, I guess, as well.
1: Well, I think that the scary thing is, like, you know, I think people are OK with the way the offense is playing. You're going to get stalled from time to time, have a terrible quarter, or maybe even a half. But they feel like the pieces are there where they can compete with anybody that they play defensively I think is where people are starting to be a little fearful when you're giving up points to Jacksonville and Detroit. Uh, and then you still have to play the likes of Philadelphia and you can't stop the run. I think that's where people are a little bit shaken. Uh, but you know, there's, like you said, there's a lot of games left and, and I'm sure the defense will change up a little bit, try to get more people in the box to stop the run and that'll make more pressure on the corners, but they're going to step up and, and cover tighter coverage, play tighter coverage.
0: Um, before I let you go, you watched, because you were at the sports bar, you watched all the games. Uh, you got to see a whole bunch of stuff. Anything from any of these other games to stand out to you as a guy who obviously has done what you do? Anything impress you? Uh, some play calls, some scheme, some individual play?
1: Uh, not really any play calls, but I think the speed of when you watch live, you watch Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill run, uh, it is frightening for defenses to try to stop these two guys. I mean, it, it is incredible. I mean, these guys both had 160 yards receiving and uh, a couple touchdowns each and they're just blowing by people. And uh, I don't know how teams are going to stop these two guys. I think it's the best one 2 punch I've seen in a long time as far as receivers are concerned. And uh, it's, it's scary, but it's fun to watch the balls
0: up in the air and, and, and uh, watch those guys make plays. Did you see development from, I mean, it's one thing to have the receivers, but then you need to have the quarterback get the ball to them. It looks like two had a pretty good game. You see good development out of him.
1: Yeah, they struggle early, but they stuck with it, and, and and Baltimore obviously had a lot to do with that. They blew a couple couple coverages. I mean, here's here's a little tip to defensive coordinators: that want to be defensive coordinators. If you're covering Tyree Kill, make sure somebody's covering them deep. Uh, just don't <laughs> let <them> run. That. <laughs> make a note. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's tough, man. It's it's fun to watch him. He's getting better and better, more confident. That really helps when you have that type of skill. You don't have to hold the ball forever. Those guys are uh 40 yards down the field at the blink of an eye you know most teams it takes three or four seconds for guys to get down there those guys it takes about a second and a half i mean it, it's it's they're blazing
0: yeah no ab, ab, absolutely I mean, it was a fun uh, watch uh, on the uh, to see the highlights of that comeback uh jay always a blast appreciate the, the the time as always and uh we'll see what happens this week in philly good luck at the sports bar if you go back there on uh on sunday if you're you know uh, i'm waiting for you to tell me next time you're you've become such a regular they're just gonna call you you're gonna be like the norm of the bar they're just gonna yell jay when you walk in Uh,
1: unfortunately that's a lot of bars around here they do that so (laughs) all
0: right on that note i appreciate the time man. man all right as promised joining me here on the podcast he is one of our Philadelphia Eagles uh, beat reporters. He's also the guy who's in charge of the uh, athletics power rankings. He is the great Bo Wolf. Bo, I appreciate you uh, hopping on the podcast. How are how are things? Things are good. Thank you for having me, Ben. You, you've got that extra duty this year of the of, <laughs> of the power rankings. Uh, does, does that uh, do, do you feel the the extra pressure there? Because you, it's you know it's always like when you're covering your own team. You know, some people, in the fan base think, oh, this guy, whatever. Sure. But now you've got all the fan base is going oh, You you don't like my team or whatever it may be. Are you feeling that? Or are you just like, "Eh, yeah, I don't think I had a, a, a a real understanding of um,
2: how seriously people took power rankings for their teams. Uh, It, to me, it's like a fun way to just go through the league and,
0: and give some thoughts. But yeah, I think there are, uh, (laughs) I
2: think there are some people who get, who get pretty
0: angry in the mentions. Uh, Is there any like team so far that you've just been like surprised by, uh, by any fan base that you've just been surprised by in particular? Uh, that's a good question. You know what surprised
2: me before the season in like my, in my pre week one power rankings, I was surprised at the amount of lions fans who are like vehemently pro Jared Goff. Like Mm. how dare you question this guy? And I mean, having, having watched Jared Goff from afar for his entire career, I thought that was pretty surprising. Like he doesn't seem to me like a guy who would engender either, uh, support or, uh, like thinking that this guy is your long-term answer, but through the first two weeks, he hasn't been bad. And, and both of us, the
0: Eagles and commanders have
2: seen that. So I guess maybe they, they were onto a little bit of something.
0: Oh, we, we have, I was going to say the Detroit Lions in general, to me, looked like the, you know, they look the, good. They look very good last, last week and yeah, the opposite. They scored a bunch against you guys as well. You know, it's interesting because this actually ties into a, a person who will be central to this conversation. Of course, Carson Wentz in that, I I've been saying like I think the national narrative that the Washington made a bad choice in getting Carson Wentz what's sort of lost in that for a lot of people is recognizing how bad Washington's quarterback play has been in recent years Th- Carson Wentz is easily their best quarterback since Kirk Cousins or maybe a healthy Alex Smith uh, the, you know l- they've had a lot of what about like pieces. the first series of Ryan Fitzpatrick or did we even get to that. <laughs> we 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 got a little bit of that but okay. yeah right, right right Fitzpatrick didn't even complete a pass to Terry McLaurin so I don't even know if it <laughs> uh if it counts but like but but in Detroit they had Stafford forever yeah so it is odd it doesn't feel like so like we're here it's like oh that's
2: Wednesday, a good that's point
0: pretty good Stafford was like you know golf isn't as good as he is he so would think that they wouldn't be as enamored yeah, that's a good point I don't understand it either but but I mean I don't know maybe they were onto something <laughs> well we'll, uh, we'll we'll see that. kudos to Detroit they've looked good so far um you know it, it's only two weeks into the year and coming off a loss here we're already hearing a lot of it's still early it's still early uh which is reasonable but I almost imagine that after two weeks you and I have a different view of it, the the notion of it's early still because for here the, the question a lot of the questions on defense are the same ones we've been asking for over a year now, the defense really stunk last year, for the most part, being honest, and they didn't look that great in week mm-hmm. two. Where, but for you guys, it's like, oh, this is kind of a new world to a degree. I mean, it's a lot of the same pieces, but adding AJ Brown, adding some of these other pieces, it feels like you know the Eagles have gone from oh, can they make the playoffs to oh, can they win the Super Bowl. So I imagine this is like early in a positive way on your end.
2: I think that's right. Um, you know the the way that they played against Minnesota was very much like oh this this team could be a team that you know Super Bowl contender is is you know in week two a little <laughs> bit ridiculous to say like sure. you're, you're definitely out over your skis but if you if you look at the big picture and zoom out I mean the Eagles have the second easiest schedule in the league uh, in terms of like preseason win projections um, there's a path for sure to getting the number one seed if they play that well um, like, the, the, as you talked about, the AJ Brown addition on offense has really changed things and opened things up. Jalen Hurts, through two games, seems like he's taken a little bit of a leap. And the defense, uh, which was not impressive against Detroit, uh, bounced back and played very well against Minnesota. They had made offseason upgrades at every level in terms of, you know, Jordan Davis at defensive tackle, Hassan Reddick at the edge, Kaiser White at linebacker, James Bradbury at cornerback, and Chauncey Gardner Johnson at safety. Uh, so that you would expect that they would take a leap. And so for them to, to look as good as they did in week two Eagles fans allow themselves to dream a little bit. That said, you know, we have been through it long enough to know that there are going to be peaks and valleys over the course of the season. You know, Jalen hurts is probably not going to look as good as he did uh, last week, every week. And obviously, you know, the, the elephant in the room is always, you know, what injuries are you going to have? Um, and so right now
0: Eagles fans are feeling pretty good, but it is, it is a long season. Yeah, no, 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 no doubt. But, uh, What's interesting. So Jalen hurts is right. He's on, I haven't had my coffee yet. He's on his rookie contract still. Right. He is. Yeah. Year three. Right. So, so that's what's also interesting about looking at these two teams. Um, you know, obviously the Eagles made the playoffs last year, Washington didn't, but they were kind of in the general level ish area the, beyond the fact that Washington didn't have much of a quarterback or no disrespect to Taylor Heineke, but they didn't have a quarterback that they or Garrett Gilbert. Right. <laughs> right. Right. As you guys saw. Right. Um but they didn't have a quarterback that they felt was, you know, somebody they wanted to to build, build around for the course of a season. So they, they think they did that now. The difference is that Carson Wentz's contract with a $28.3 million cap hit this year to them prevented a lot of other things from occurring. They really did almost nothing else of significance if from the veteran market in the off season. You guys, it felt like every other week, hmm. <laughs> it was another, yeah. another move, like you mentioned. And that's where it felt like the. It feels like at the moment the gap between these two teams has changed because Jalen Hurts is playing at a pretty good level on the rookie deal, and while as I said, Carson Wentz has looked pretty good through two weeks, he costs a lot more money, and this is the rub. You're seeing this right in Seattle right now, where, where all this, uh, all these former players are, are ripping on Russell Wilson because like Pete Carroll shows the, him over the defense. Well, this is what happens when you when when the money is what it is at that position. So that's what's kind of interesting to me about this, how these teams have been built because of these quarterbacks on some level.
2: Yeah, and that's also like the the thing that's hanging over the Eagles too, is like, you know, this is the year in which they have to sort of figure out if Jalen Hurts is going to be the guy, because if you're going to sign him, it probably happens next year uh, in the final year of his rookie deal. They've also got two first round picks. Uh, They've got the Saints first round pick next year. So you would think that if they're going to move on, now would be the time to move on. But if he continues playing like he's playing, uh, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think I think they will sort of commit to him long term. And the, you know, I do think that the quarterback contract thing is is overstated a little bit to some degree. Because if you have the right people managing the cap, there are ways you know of pushing things forward and and loosening uh, your restrictions a little bit. But in in terms of like, you can't just go trade for AJ Brown and sign you know hassan reddick and all these different things if you have a guy making what carson Wentz is making i think you're right
0: right right obviously we've seen the rams clearly doing some voodoo over there with the cap space on the other hand they're also you know they have no depth or relatively speaking and other teams are trying to value depth i guess i don't really know what washington's doing to be honest because their depth is sort of questionable to me on defense but people have heard me uh, go off on that enough already um I'm, I'll admit I'm not the biggest Jalen Hurts fan, or at least coming into the year I, I wasn't. I wasn't. I'm not somebody who's thinking, "Oh, this is the next guy." I, I liked him in college, but you know, to me, there's a regular season quarterback and there's a postseason quarterback. And in this in season, teams are not making switch; they're not completely flipping over their game plan to deal with a specific quarterback. Whereas in the postseason, you are, and can you make the necessary throws, et cetera? at that point, but we're way away from there. So right now he's looking pretty good. What was your view of him coming into the season? And has anything changed for you based on what you've seen so far? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it has evolved. Um, and I think, you know, the party
2: line within the Eagles organization has always been, we don't know what Jalen hurts ceiling is, but we feel very confident that whatever that ceiling is, he will reach it because of the way that he's wired. Um, everybody, uh, is like enamored with Jalen Hurts, the guy, the worker, the leader, and so if if there's like if there's like top five, top ten quarterback potential there, he's going to reach it. They feel confident about. Um, the 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 hangups with Jalen Hurts have always been, and like Nick Sirianni said this himself last year at the combine, um, like passing the ball downfield in terms of reading and and accuracy. And I think there are margins where he can improve those things, where it's either you know, improving in terms of getting the reps and and seeing defenses uh, over the course of a season. He has talked a lot about this is the first time that he's been in the second year of an offense since he was in high school. And uh-huh. I always like, does that really matter? But but he says it matters a lot. And, and I, I believe that there's like comfort in that and, uh, and knowing what to anticipate when uh, you call a play and what the defense is going to respond with. And I, like the 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 running is it's sort of pushed to the side a little bit, but he's such a good runner. And it, it really does change the calculus for what they can do on offense. It opens up what they can do and it changes what the defense can do because they can't just like what the lions did in week one. They blitzed a lot and played a lot of man coverage and Jalen hurts killed them as a scrambler. And it wasn't like he was bailing out of reads. It was like the right thing to do. He was beating unblocked guys and he's, he's, he's so good at, protecting himself as a runner and still being dynamic and being able to break tackles. So I think that that's something you can't really overstate. And then like the way that he played against the Vikings, um, that's as good as I have seen him throw the ball. And so if that's an indication that he has made a little bit of a leap, I thought he looked very good over the summer in training camp. Then uh, I think that there is reason to believe that he can, he can be like a really good quarterback. He's also still really young. I think he's only 24 years old. Um, So I don't know. I, I I am I am having to rethink what I think the ceiling can be for, for Jalen Hurts.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but like the NFC looks as wide open, um, you know, as it has felt in years when you consider, you know, obviously Dak Prescott goes down for Dallas, you know, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, you know, great quarterbacks. They're also you know up there. We'll see how, how that goes. Green Bay mm-hmm. obviously lost receivers. And then after that, I, you know, a lot a lot of questions. So there's definitely room for. You know, a guy like that, uh, 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 another team to slip in, and if Jalen Hurts is a guy that's ascending, you know, then who knows where uh, where Philly's uh, ceiling is. Um, the, the the run game, you mentioned his running ability, but the mm-hmm. run game in general, I think. If when people ask me what what are, what's the most concerning element of this game for Washington, I mean they're they're giving up almost eight yards a carry on the ground now. Yikes! <laughs> and and that was against. Two sort of in-the-pocket quarterbacks and Trevor Lawrence and Jared Goff. So the, the Jalen Hurts factor is even is a completely different. But then there's the 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 more traditional running game and and the Eagles are what second most rushing yards per game, I think, in the league right now. Uh what, what is the what is the secret sauce there to why the, the ground game is is really effective for these guys this year beyond just Jalen Hurts?
2: Well, I think I think Jalen Hurts is a is a big part of it, and it's not just you know, the yards that he gets himself, but it's the numbers that he changes up front because defenses have to account for the fact that he could run. Right. And so uh, you you couple that with what I think is the league's best or, you know, one of the top two or three offensive lines. And it's it's the most running back friendly offense in the league, I think, on a, on a per carry basis. Right. Because uh, you're running behind. Lane Johnson and Jordan Mailata and Jason Kelsey and Lena Dickerson, who was a second round pick last year, and, and Isaac Sayamalu, who's been a starter for a long time. Uh, you're running behind those guys. Defenses have to account for Jalen Hurts. It really opens things up. I mean, there were a couple of plays last week. Uh, these it, it was like a draw play, right? They did two draws in a three play span. And it was like, like the parting of the red seas, uh, the, like the, the lanes that miles Sanders had to run through. Um, and it's it, like, it's, it's, it's tough to account for. And, you know, last year the Eagles made the playoffs basically because they, they totally turned the dial from being uh, pass happy to the, the most run heavy team in the league over the second half of the season. And they're not, you know, fully tuned that way right now because they've added so many weapons on offense and because they think Jalen hurts has made a bit of a leap, but, when they want to run the ball, they, they pretty, they usually can. And like, for instance, at the end of the game against the lions, they had a four minute drill basically to, to close things out. They needed to get a couple first downs and they were able to do so, but it was close. Like miles Sanders was almost stopped behind the line on a third and two. And then they also had to convert a fourth, a fourth and one quarterback sneak. And so it's not, it's not always uh, that easy, but I, I think it is
0: something that, that teams have to account for. Like this is a, this is a very good rushing team. Right. And now, you know, the addition of A.J. Brown, it's like the last couple of years might have been like, okay, we know about the run, but there's not a ton to worry about in the passing game. Devontae Smith obviously had a good rookie year, but still developing Dallas Goddard's good. Now adding an A.J. Brown, it's like, wait, <laughs> you know, now, no, no, not, right. now, now, now what do we do? Washington uses sub packages essentially every play anyway to, so that will in theory help with the passing game. But then, you know, you take a linebacker off the field and now all of a sudden, you're more vulnerable to the run and they definitely have been uh, so far. Um, I mentioned that you, you're the power rankings guy. So as you have to assess Washington from your end, mm. what's been your view so far of this team? How have you kind of factored them into the power rankings, especially coming off a week where they gave up uh, last che- check, about 8,000 yards yeah, ex- to Detroit?
2: <laughs> well, I mean, I guess it's, it's, we're still at the point of the season where it's hard to, to tell whether like a performance like that is Washington's defense being bad or the Lions having a better like rushing attack and better offense than, than we thought heading into the season. Right. Um, I, I guess I was impressed with um, in terms of like the offensive scheme, how much they're spreading the ball around. Um, I think I, I noted that that Washington is the only team in the league that has six guys with at least like 70 receiving yards so far through two games, no other team has more than four. Um, And so that was, you know, you give credit to, to Scott Turner for the way that, he seems to be spreading the ball around and, and a little bit of credit to Carson Wentz, um, you know, having having lived through the Carson Wentz experience. And I know that we'll get to that. Um, I'm, I'm skeptical uh, that there are not going to be you know games where he, uh, you know, is the reason that they lose. But I don't know. You tell me, like, is the defense that much of a concern or is it an,
0: is there an expectation that they'll bounce back to being like average? Uh, I think there's that much of a concern. Uh, I mean, look, in in fairness to them right now, they didn't have Cam Curl for the first two games. He's their most versatile defender. You know, probably he's arguably their best player in the secondary. It looks like he could be back this week. That'll help, particularly against the run. Chase Young, obviously out as well. Now, he wasn't that good when he played last year before the knee injury. Nonetheless, you, you know, from the explosiveness, the upside play, the talent, that's a significant loss. So that's a thing. That said, yeah, I think there's definitely concerns, particularly the linebackers are kind of, uh, you know, uninspiring, <laughs> we can say, I guess. All you need to say, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're still waiting. That for sound J- was all you needed to say. <laughs> right. They're still waiting for Jamin Davis to sort of turn the corner. He still looks too indecisive out there. Um, and I'm really c- wondering, we've seen that the opposing defenses try to go after him the first couple of games. It's not been like a, a, a train wreck on every play, but there's been enough times where other teams can make that can make them pay and the secondary communication issues were a problem last year they seem to be a problem uh, so far this year Detroit basically said we recognized on tape if we ran a bunch formation that they would be confused and sure enough Amon Ross St. Brown had a busted coverage for like 50 yards 49 yards on a play like that so I think there's still some reason to be concerned they obviously have talent on the line uh, but John Allen was not a, is not one hundred percent right now, dealing with a groin injury. So, uh, and then as I said earlier, they've just got limited depth options. So it's not like you can even say, well, if this guy's struggling, let's go this way. They just don't seem to have a ton right now. So it is to me a bit of a concern, to say the least. Um, but like I said, Cam Curl back this week. We'll see how that goes. I think that'll be particularly helpful against Jalen Hurts. Um, so so we'll see. But um, you, you mentioned Carson Wentz. I guess let's just go there. Uh, from your perspective, if you have to put sort of the, you know, summary of the Carson Wentz experience, when you look back on it, what was it? What was it like for you? Well, I mean, there's like,
2: there's two parts, right? I mean, 2017 was, was unbelievable. I've, I have not seen a quarterback uh, in person play at as high level as, as Carson Wentz played at in 2017. Um, he was awesome, but like the last two years of, of Carson Wentz and especially 2020 and and then watching him in Indianapolis in 2021, um, it seems like something is, is broken to some degree. Um, his, you know, his unwillingness to ever give up on a play in the pocket is a real concern. And it's the kind of thing that, um, like for a, for a quarterback who's been in the league as long as he has, it's sort of childish, right? Like you, you would imagine that you you have to learn at some point that you can't just sit there and sit there and sit there. And like, just because a guy runs behind you doesn't mean that he's not coming back. Right. Um, he, he, he just doesn't have that pocket awareness and he doesn't care enough about protecting the ball. Now, uh, I was talking about this with, uh, with Robert Mays a couple of weeks ago. Like I, I do think that for the commanders, it makes a lot of sense because there are things that he can do that that open up parts of the field that were not open up to to the offense last year. Right, um, he has a good arm. Obviously, he can get the ball downfield, and so it's more of a, like a week to week variance instead of having like you know like a like a Gardner Minshew type who can uh, like who can be sta- uh He's actually not the best example, but like a like a caretaker who's going to be able to you know pick up six yards on third and five maybe but not throw the ball downfield you're going to have games where Carson Wentz looks awesome and you're going to have games where he's the reason you lose um and so like I think that's good because it helps you evaluate the rest of the roster too like you've got Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel and Jahan Dotson you need somebody who can get them all the ball uh in in places all over the field and he can do that but he can also hold the ball too long and fumble and try to throw a left-handed pass that gets intercepted or, you know, not read the the safety. So um, I'm curious to see how the season plays out, I guess. But my, uh, my expectations are that like, over the course of the season, he will be, you know, closer towards like the 20th quarterback
0: than the 12th. <laughs> right. Right. We have not seen a left-handed pass yet. Like it's like on the one hand, like you don't want to see it because obviously that's the growth that you're talking about. On the other hand, it's like, ah, come on. I was promised. We're going to get some crazy left-handed passes here. Where, where are we at? But he hasn't done that yet. Um, you know, it's sort of like when you, I mean, obviously I watched Carson Wentz play, but previously, but it's different when he's with you, when when you're studying a player every day in practice and, you know, being around and all that. And so I heard, you know, I read what you guys had said. I, I, I you know, talked to Zach Kiefer and in Indy, you know, you read other stories and you, you hear about what's to come. But I tried my best to keep an open mind to the situation going in. And then we're watching practices and like the wayward throws were just like, wow. Like- it's hard.
2: There, Like I've never, I've never seen a quarterback miss so many layups, right? Like just like a running back in the flat and he just sails it over his head. Like, what is
0: that? Yeah, no. And, and you know, we would all, like I said, when we were on the beat, we would tweet it out like, our own experiences. And I think a lot of people were taking as we were like sort of busting on Wentz. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, I mean, look, he's clearly, as I said, a best, the best quarterback they've had in the Ron Rivera era at a minimum. And he can do a lot of good things for them in terms of getting the ball downfield. And like you mentioned they they have not had, a, it opens up the playbook in ways they hadn't before, but it was just like, Oh, I getting it now. I'm seeing it from my own eyes. The, 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 just throwing it, you know, way over the head of a six foot six tight end type of deal. And that's the part that's been, uh, curious. And, you know, you you mentioned some of the sort of holding onto the ball too long. I I talked to to Wentz before the season and we talked about his aggressive nature and like sort of where did that come from? And he basically said, look, I play that. I feel like there's a touchdown to be made on every play, even though I know there probably isn't. And he's also, I didn't realize he was a Brett Favre guy, which helps explain the DNA (laughs) as well a little bit. And, uh, you know, I hope I, he has a better uh, post-football career. It's <laughs> not
2: he's yes. stealing money from people.
0: Right, right, right. He's, we, we talked about Wentz's charity work, so hopefully that's more of the, the you know, the, the, the thing he's sincerely doing rather than like what you said, like Favre is. Um, but uh, I think for now, it's still a bit of the honeymoon stage. He's obviously put up really good stats. I think he's the first quarterback ever. I saw to have at least 300 yards and three touchdown passes in his first two games for a new team um you know the the game against jacksonville the the comeback in the fourth quarter the two touchdown passes were Mm -hmm. as perfect as any touchdown as any passes you'll see um all year so i think right now everybody's kind of willing to be like all right at least this is a an entertaining show he's pretty talented we'll see what happens going forward but i am concerned about as you said the um the variance aspects yeah like
2: there's something to be said for like he's willing to he's willing to try throws that some other guys might not make right right? um and so you're going to get spectacular passes but you're also going to get crazy
0: looking failures (laughs) so based on that how do you think the Eagles defense matches up with Wentz based on what they're trying to do versus what you just said were sort of his uh flaws
2: yeah I mean the, the Jonathan Gannon defense last year was all about Uh, forcing the opposing quarterback to be patient and, you know, giving up small gains and small gains and hoping that, you know, betting that they're not going to be able to remain patient. And that's actually sort of perfect for Carson Wentz because I don't think that he can remain patient over the course of a game. Um, And so I think we might see them revert back to that. Um, We've seen the defense grow a little bit this year in terms of, you know, blitz rate. Last year, the Eagles were towards the very bottom of the league in in blitz percentage this year. They're up to 12th. I believe, according to True Media. Um, the pass rush is still not great. They're getting a little bit more pressure, but they have not gotten a lot of sacks. Uh, but a lot of that has been because opposing quarterbacks tend to get rid of the ball quickly against the Eagles, and I know that that's not something that Carson Wentz uh, does like uh, throughout a game. Right. Um, and so it does seem like a good matchup for the Eagles' defense. That said, uh, I think there's a lot of uh respect for what Scott Turner has has dialed up through two games uh with the with the weapons that they have and so I'm curious to see what what kind of defense the UAs are going to play I think I think they respect um the threat of, of big plays from from those guys
0: um before I let you get out of here what I don't know I mean obviously no, no team is perfect but has look pretty good through two games but What's the area do you think either side of the ball or special teams or whatever, where's the area of concern going into this game? And maybe a place where Washington can potentially exploit uh, the Eagles. Uh, I think it's, I think it's on defense. And I think um, against
2: Minnesota, they were able to shut down the running game, but in week one uh, Detroit had a lot of success running the ball. I know that uh, the commanders have not really like leaned into Antonio Gibson as, as the bell cow. Right. 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 Um, so if that's something that they're willing to do, I think that might be successful. Um, I think there have been some tackling issues uh, last week. They were better than they were in week one, but there, there is potential for like some big plays there on offense. Like right now they look pretty good. And if, if the commanders are as bad on defense as you tell me they are, um, I'm not so sure that that's going to be a great matchup for them, but um, you know, listen, it's like they're coming off a short week. Uh, maybe they're feeling themselves a little bit too much. Crazy things happen in, in the NFL. So I'm not I'm not saying that this is definitely an Eagles win just yet.
0: Well, and that's the thing, right? I mean, it, it it is the stereotypical. It's a division game. Throw the records out the window, yada, yada, yada. And I generally agree with that. But if we're looking at it as a straight-up situation – you know, it does feel like the Eagles are the are the better team, but we'll see. Well, you know, Washington, you know, fat, had resiliency in the opener. They did come back, even last week after trailing 22 zip to make it a one score game. But yeah, we'll we'll, we'll see that. The, the defense is definitely uh, concerning for me. Uh, there's no concerning when it comes to reading Bo stuff. A, a, a highly entertaining writer, very insightful, as you can tell on the Eagles, and of course check out his power rankings on the athletic and on twitter he is at bo bo underscore wolf w u l f uh bo great uh, great uh, to have you on the podcast i will see you uh sunday and i imagine you're bringing a lot of your friends down from uh <laughs> from philadelphia i for, think they're the gonna be plenty I, of people yeah yeah I, I i think that's going to be a really interesting uh, aspect of this is how you know do we do we hear people like booing carson when i think
2: that's probably what you're
0: gonna hear yeah <laughs> yeah that, that that's kind of what i think everybody's fearing um my, but i really appreciate it man thanks so much of course thanks for having me and i'll see you on sunday yep